hi and welcome to the Christmas edition of OIC, uh, the podcast looking back at the 1990-91 football season. Once again, I'm joined by Football Pink editor Mark Goffrey. Hi Mark. Hi Steve, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are your holidays? Uh, pretty good, thanks. Nice and warm in Dubai, but now back to the cold of North England. Excellent. I thought you went to Filey, you told me, but there you go. There you go. Uh, okay, we'll not we'll not dwell on that one. Um, well, Mark will be um, giving us his usual rundown of uh, some of the top football stories from December 1990 later on, and also we'll be looking at sort of the Christmas TV schedule and the sort of uh, music that was going to hit the uh, Christmas number one spot, which uh, you know any purveyors of good music will probably find that horrific. Um, anyway, but I'm delighted to say that this month's special guest is none other than actor, writer, director, and lots of other things, uh, Johnny Owen, who is probably best known for his brilliant work on the I Believe in Miracles film, the, where, where he looked back at the glory years of Nottingham Forest in the late 70s. He was also the writer of Svengali, um, the story about struggling to get into the, the music business, and that was released as a feature film back in 2013. Hi, Johnny. Uh, thanks for taking a break from your Christmas preparations to uh, come and chat with us. Yeah, how you doing, lads? You're right. Yeah, it's very, very nice to be here. Excellent. So let's go right back to December 1990 then. Um, so what was a young Mr. Owen doing around that time? I was um, I'd, I was working for Hoover. Uh, I'm from Merthyr Tidville, and Hoover was the kind of main employer there. So I worked in the offices at Hoover, just getting ready for Christmas. Um, I used to go and watch Merthyr Tidville, uh, my hometown club, and Cardiff City, one of my local league club almost religiously at that time one was in the GM Vauxhall Conference and the other one was in the, the fourth division can you believe that <laughs> Cardiff City were in the bottom table yeah. um, and obviously I used to watch Wales a lot as well home and away in those days when I was young and free and single so yeah sort of football football wise I was um, yeah I was, I was going pretty much every week really twice a week okay that that would have been a few years after when was the Merthyr Tidville against Atalanta in the, was it the Anglo uh, or the UEFA Cup wasn't it or oh, Cup Winners Cup um, it was back. the uh, it was the European Cup Winners' Cup in uh, 1987. Yeah, uh, and uh, I went to that game. I was yeah. uh, I was 16 years of age, but I was still. When people say to me, "What's the best match you've ever been to?" I always say, "Was when Merthyr Tidwell beat Atalanta in the European Cup Winners' Cup." We were, I believe, in the seventh tier of uh, uh, the English football pyramid. Yeah, um, we beat Atalanta, who um, were obviously a Serie A team, two mm-hmm. one. Um, and I. The population they worked out, it was almost half the town's population was into the ground that night um, to watch the game. And uh, mm-hmm. people still say it's arguably the biggest upset in the history of European football when we should never have been within five, six goals of them, let alone beating them 2 1. And we only lost 2 0 away as well. Yeah. And, uh, could have scraped through. But uh, yeah, those are the days when you could still get into Europe via the Welsh Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and Welsh teams used to do really well. Teams like Bangor and Newport actually got the quarterfinals once. Cardiff got the semi-final, famously beat Real Madrid on the way. Swansea yeah. used to do well, but unfortunately, um, uh, they sort of they took that route into Europe from from clubs in the English pyramid, and uh, it was no more from about mm-hmm. 1991. But an amazing, amazing moment that amazing game. Absolutely, yeah. Anybody who wants to see that, you, there is YouTube footage, I believe, isn't there? I'm sure I've seen the YouTube footage of, um, of certainly the home game in Merthyr. It is, yeah. I did a, I did a thing the other day, uh, but the anniversary was last year, and I did an, um, a piece for the BBC on it, um, and it had a million views, they were telling wow. me. Wow. Yeah, so it was amazing. I just went back, and I it was a famous player who played for Merthyr called uh, Kevin Rogers at the time, who was at uh, Villa, Birmingham, and then he came to Merthyr. Wouldn't happen now. And he was mm. telling me he was um, he was on very good money because he was non-league 
play in non-league at that moment, and he was on good money because they got him a, well, they found him a job in a in an office in Merthyr. So it was actually more lucrative for him for him and many other players to play for Merthyr rather than Cardiff Swansea, who were both yeah. in the lower division. So it ended up that some quirk. Merthyr had a fantastic fantastic team, flew through the leagues, went up I think two years running into the GM Boxwell Conference and won the Welsh Cup and um, beat GM Boxwell. This is just before the TV money. Yeah. <laughs> Tipped into the lower leagues as well, you know. So mm. the old third and fourth divisions, certainly Cardiff, was just full of YTS and journeymen. Whereas yeah. non-league, it was actually we had sort of the best players in South Wales playing for Merthyr, as was proved because we would regularly beat uh, the three league teams uh, in the Welsh Cup, and if ever we sort of met them. Mm. Amazing stuff. I mean, we, we know obviously looking at your, your background, we you know people know that you love your music. Um, and one of the earlier episodes that we had uh, on Oh I Say was with uh, Peter Hooten from the Farm, and oh, yeah. we were obviously chatting about the nineteen ninety sort of season. And I mean, would you agree that sort of that period uh, and the period that we're primarily focusing on uh, on the podcast? Do you, do you think that was a sort of a, a, a pivotal time when sort of music fans and football fans sort of it's, it was almost like a crossover it, I mean hooliganism was was sort of on the wane we'd had the Hillsborough stuff and the, the stadiums were getting revamped and football was becoming a little bit more fashionable and stuff but obviously the musical influencers that we only have to look at Happy Mondays and Stone Roses for you know for instance for Manchester I mean, I mean would you sort of agree that you know that that at that time, uh, football and music were probably as close as they've ever been. Yeah, it was it was a glorious time to be young. I think I was eighteen, nineteen, and I went to Spike Island that year to see the yeah. because I was a huge fan. Spent quite a lot of time going up to Manchester, like it seemed half the country was doing as well. And I do think there was this sort of um, great crossover between where music and terraces and and all that sort of culture came together. Before that, it was kind of always dismissed, wasn't it? Really, as sort of. Mm sort of like hooliganism you know football mm. fans were kind of what they call social devils I suppose you know and sort of yeah. all branded much the same and in a weird way that kind of helped I think it kind of fermented into the late 80s because we were left alone and the mainstream media didn't didn't want to know really amongst football fans we saw stuff like the fanzine culture that you yeah. know, grew and blossomed and Merthyr had a really famous uh, fanzine called Dilem for Merthyr that was, <laughs> was really really well known and well respected still going and yeah. um Obviously, Pete, well, I know Pete, he started it, really, him and his mates with the end a few years before, and that kind of sort of pollinated out, didn't it, from Liverpool to yeah. the other areas. Uh, and it was a great time. It was, it was glorious. I mean, I can remember sort of going up to Merthyr, and I was going up to Cardiff, and I was on the, the popular bank, as they call it in Merthyr, and the Bob Bank in Cardiff, and being given sort of, you know, uh, tapes, you know, stone roses, and I was given books, I was given Catcher in the Rye by a mm. guy called Mark I'd seen an early version of sort of train spotting well it was actually he was writing for Rebel Inc at that time so it was Irving Welsh I was aware of his writing and you're right it was this sort of great moment and then football really kind of exploded I felt that the World Cup that year certainly in England Italia 90 kind of changed a lot of things and it sort of people really got interested after that uh, yeah. but just before that I felt I sound like one of those snobby people who sort of talks about bands now before everybody discovers them. But I did think that '89 going into '90 was a great time, you know, for football fans because, like you say, there was lots of sort of dance culture was happening and sort of mm. you know people were really into bands and there was that whole crossover with the Roses and the Mondays. It was fantastic. It was, uh, and I remember it very fondly. And, and it was, I had one of those things where that summer of '89 and the summer of 1990 seemed to last forever. <laughs> the words yeah. of uh, Brian Adams, but it did, you know. And, <laughs> I just remember that football was absolutely central to everything we did, uh, me and my mates in, in, mm. in Merthyr and, and the Valleys. It was it was really a really important part of our culture and a really positive. It had a positive effect on me because we mm. travelled. We travelled with Wales. 
we travelled with Merthyr, we went to Europe, you know, we went to all over the country, and I, I felt that football was a, a hugely positive thing for me, because it just meant I was getting out, I was meeting other people, going to different parts of the country, different parts of, of the world, so, you know, I look back on it very, very fondly, and I think you're right, I think 1990 was kind of a glorious moment to be uh, to be young and alive. What's that great saying that somebody said about T.S. Eliot, was it glory, was it to be alive, but to be young was very heaven. It was a bit like that, it was a like that in 1990. Yeah. It was a great, yeah. great time, I felt. We, we, we were t- I wanted to ask you about, obviously, 1990 and post-Italia 90. Um, uh, in England, obviously, as we, as we already just hit on briefly there, the, 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 the explosion of, of, of football. It was football had its rebirth thanks to England getting to the semis and, and stuff like that. But I just wondered, you know, as a proud Welshman yourself, uh, you know what? What were your memories of sort of Wales, uh, the Welsh national team around that time? And, and you know, and what sort of mood? What was the mood like in Wales? I know you basically just you know mentioned that about going with your mates to Merthyr and Cardiff and stuff. But you know, d- did you see w- was football sort of becoming more fashionable in Wales as well, or um, or was it just were you looking across to England, you know, with a little bit of? Uh, sort of jealousy you know just how sort of say let's say trendy or fashionable the game was you know was about to become i mean i mean we well, listen look, wales was always uh has always been seen as sort of a, as a rugby country certainly the south of wales you know that that's the idea sort of you know that's portrayed but it was always a strong football culture uh, very similar to, to the english football culture you know the terraces and the way we dressed and the music we listened to it was practically the same really the welsh national team were really really good at this point as well obviously england had a terrific team and had that world cup tournament where they got the semi-final and Gascoigne was superb but in that time uh wales uh, sort of we played belgium we're always in groups with belgium and germany so when germany <laughs> qualified for the 1990 world cup they they we drew with them at wales and we lost 2-1 over in cologne and i was at the game who won the lap? Malcolm Allen put us one the lap, mm, and I, wow. I, after, after they won the World Cup, uh, Rudy Voller famous. He said the most difficult game they had wasn't just the, in the in the tournament; it was in the qualifiers against Wales. I mean, if you remember this time, Wales would have had a front line of Dean Saunders, Ian Rush, and Mark Hughes, the mm. really really strong football team. Um, and then when we when we went to the European qualifiers that time, and I went to away to Belgium, and I went to Germany again. Our group was Wales, Belgium, Germany. And I think it was, um, I can't remember the other one was, it was four strong and only one qualifier. <laughs> the drivers mad in Wales because yeah. European groups are so difficult to get through. I mean, we literally had the world champions in our group and we nearly got through that time as well. We beat them in Wales, famously, in 91 when Ian Rush scored. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. Yeah. Lost. It was the first time Germany had lost, I think, a competitive match in about three years. And then we went over to Germany and we got beaten well up there, 4-1. But we beat Belgium home, 3-1. This is the Belgium of Schifo and those players. Mm-hmm. And we drew out there. So we, went, we, went, we didn't qualify by one point. And this was the big thing for us in Wales, and it still is. It's very difficult to qualify from European groups. It's so much more difficult. So it breaks a, breaks a heart when, when sort of Saudi Arabia and that gets through. And I know it's a World Cup, but even this year in Russia, we were like, we had to beat uh, Austria, Serbia, uh, Republic of Ireland. Tough, tough groups to get through. And I'm glad, actually, that it's opened up and made it a bit easier. It always mm-hmm. drives me mad when... Um, What's the name of the English pundit, the bald lad, Danny Mills? No, oh, Danny Mills, yeah. Oh, when he says, oh, they make qualifying too easy, I almost shout, shout at the TV when he says it. I'm <laughs> like, you don't understand what it's like being a small country. And if you yeah. get through injuries to your world-class players, then, you know, it, it really weakens us and how difficult it is to get through. That's where the European Championships were so fantastic for us that we finally qualified. And when we got in there, mm. we really showed everybody because I always felt that if we qualified, like we nearly did in 94 a bit later with a, with a gigs team and we would have done really well because we've got good players mm. but unfortunately uh, this is 
1991, we were always drawing Germany at that point in our group. With one, with only one team could qualify, and we would always push them all the way as well. That's mm. the truth of that. You, you could say, I mean, that, that yeah, the Welsh team in sort of you, you mentioned Saunders, Hughes, and, and Rush. If you could put, if you could sort of, you know, collect all those eras and put them in the same team, then you look, yeah, the team with Giggs and you know everyone now now Bale and the, and you would, you know, the, the Welsh team it would be it would be something pretty special, I think. Well, I, somebody did. Um, I think about three years back when we drew, we played England. It might, it might have been for the Euros. Um, somebody asked me to do the best ever Welsh team. And then somebody else did the best ever English team and see how they compared. And fair play, loads of loads of people on English were going, bloody a lot Welsh team would push <laughs> would push the yeah, yeah. ever. We've always produced world class players. This goes way back to John Charles and Cliff Jones, right through the seventies, you know, in like say in India Russia's and your gigs and your hues. We've always had world class players. Unfortunately what's kind of affects us every so often is if we get an injury to sort of Neville Southall and you know, if, if Kevin Ratcliffe was injured or Ian Rush, it, it affected us then, you know, that's where we haven't got the strength then to have somebody in who's at least close yeah. to their potential. What tends to happen with us unfortunately is we have to go down to sort of players who are playing in League One and League Two. Bless them, they come in and they do really well <laughs> off. But it's like it's not if you listen, if you're missing Alan Ramsey and Gareth Bale, yeah. it's a bit of a it's a bit of a and I think with the World Cup qualifier's just gone somebody put a stat on that we only had for 25% of the games Gareth Bale Alan Ramsey and Joe Allen on the pitch at the same time so unfortunately if you only play a quarter of your games with those three on the pitch it's going to affect you you know because you haven't got the players that can come in like I said and replace that quality but listen you know we, we, we'll keep trying and hopefully the next European Championships will qualify because I, I believe for the next World Cup as well they've opened up more places because mm. they finally worked out that it's really, really hard for some countries to qualify in, from, the, from the European groups, and maybe exactly. it's not quite fair, you know. Exactly, and and, and going back to um, you know nineteen ninety nine. I mean, what's I mean, who were sort of your, your, your favourite players around that time? Be it at Cardiff, at Merthyr, in, uh, uh, on a national level. I mean, who, who were sort of your heroes around sort of nineteen ninety ninety one? Well, Merthyr, had a terrific sort of almost like Royal the Rovers player up front called Di Webley. That's a great what's <laughs> name. Great name. <laughs> he used to score goals for fun. Who was who worked in a local foundry? They used to turn up for matches, but literally with you know blackened face and stuff you know sort of like a cliche <laughs> and would score goals galore and he's still Merthyr's most loved ever player and you know what there were scouts in for him from, from people like teams like Manchester City at the time and he never wanted to go he was just wow. happy in the valleys uh, and he would just score goal after goal after goal and, and he became and he still is a huge cult figure Alex there was a player I mentioned earlier called Kevin Rogers who was mm. in the, went to the same school as me so you can imagine somebody from the same school as you was playing on <laughs> Merthyr that was that was fantastic, and then Cardiff had um, David Giles there, who was a, a silky little winger who'd gone to play left back, who uh, I really liked as well. So yeah, there were players. I mean, we look back. Oh, Cardiff had some awful players. We had a player called um, Steve Linex. Yeah, Steve Linex. That's it. We used to call him Lethal Linex, <laughs> and um, and we used to do things like slightly sarcastically. He would do stuff like slice the ball, but he was really he was really fondly. They loved him there, and we'd go Lethal Linex, and we'd go Linex for England if he sliced the ball and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and he'd kind of wave to the fans. Um, so in those days, I mean, listen, I think Cardiff went down in 1990. I was there. They went down playing Barry away, uh, and I went to that game, and we went down. And Cardiff fans. Um, 
invaded the pitch and clapped the team off. It was it was it was a different time, you know. In, in, mm. and I, listen, I don't want to say oh, it was better back then, but Cardiff were a team that were in the fourth division, you know, and, and sometimes went up to the third. So the fans kind of accepted that. So if you if you got a half decent cup run, if you got the third round, it was massive. Mm. Uh, I thought that was the mentality then. So I I was I was talking to a mate of mine the other day, and we were saying, and he said to me, I can't, I can never remember Cardiff ever getting booed at that time. You know, like sometimes you you get people boo their own team or their own player. It would have been unthinkable to boo your own team when I was mm-hmm. 16, 17. I mean, literally, it would have been unthinkable. You just didn't do it. Whereas mm-hmm. now, I think people are much more quick to, to sort of... Oh, maybe it's, it's because we were only a smallish club then getting crowds of three, 4,000. There's a different mentality and you don't expect it. But I can I can very... I can't remember, and this, certainly not with Murtha because they were doing quite well, anybody really getting, you know... Doing this thing, we go get hold of it and get up the bloody pitch, all that kind of stuff to their own team. That's just unusual. Yeah. Maybe that's the uh, enthusiasm of youth. I don't know. But we have to. You have to say. I mean, we've 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 also spoke with other guests on on the on the other podcasts. Is you know just the the just the, gen, the generic of the football fan is totally different now to when. I mean, I'm of a similar age. I'm a couple of years older than, than yourself. Um, you know, and 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 I agree totally. That you know the the match day experience now is hugely different. Uh, yeah from what it was I mean we you could still go to I mean my hometown is is Chesterfield that's where I'm from originally just down the oh, road right. Not so yeah. you know and I mean but any but any football game you didn't you know you didn't have to buy advanced tickets you know if you went away you could go in and just pay up rock up and pay on the day uh, and, and stuff like that and just the whole mat, it just it, it just seemed I don't know for me just totally uh, just the more innocent time but but I think but now it's just a, even even at the lowest level you know you have this new sort of supporter that, that goes and uh, and I know as you just said, we don't want to sound like old git saying everything was better in our day. But but I, I genuinely feel that that you, the, the, I, I am I am glad that I was you know around when I was in my youth to watch football because I think that it's you know that sort of innocence now has been totally lost by all the commercial um, stuff that's just overtaken everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's better or worse. The past's a different country. They do things differently there, as the saying goes. And it's true. And I, I was talking the other day to some, to, and I was talking about all those things you said. You're absolutely right. Turning up on the day and, you know, literally going to games. We'd we look at fixture lists sometimes, mate, and go, let's just drive to sort of mm-hmm. Birmingham or Manchester to watch a match. And you'd be, able, you'd be able to get into Old Trafford, you know. I went to watch the opening game of the 1990 season when United had signed um, Neil Webb and a few other players because I was going up with a girl in Manchester at the time and I mm. turned up and I went with uh, friends of hers boyfriends to United Road and I paid to want mm. pay to go in you know, you know now you're saying it's a, it's a major operation to go and watch the big teams ticket wise and I did love it and I, do you know what I felt really, really old? I was talking to somebody the other day, and they were on for something, and they were like, and I went, oh, yeah, the old wooden stand. And they went, wooden stands? You remember wooden stands? And I thought, mm-hmm. stop. And I went, I remember so many grounds having wooden stands. You yeah. know what I mean? No, obviously, up to Bradford, it had to change. But I thought to myself, God, how long have I, how things have changed massively in football that I can remember paying on the door and terraces and wooden stands. Mm-hmm. I was talking about Wolves the other day. I went to Wolves with Cardiff. The old South Bank, mm. looking right down the way, fans we were by the side. Three quarters of the ground was just dilapidated. It was almost yeah. like written off. You know, it was there was nobody allowed in there. It was you know diff- completely different time and era. Yeah. Um, and like I said, football's changed so much. Uh, weirdly, since the, it started in 1990 after the World Cup, where certainly the sort of people's commercial sort of years pricked up, and they realised that people were interested in the game again. And then obviously the Sky 
sort of revolution happened and, and that kind of changed everything there's no doubt about it and then in football you know the, the, the actual league itself certainly the Premier League and, and we're seeing now with the Championship are worldwide products that people want to watch and it's insatiable the demand to watch that football mm-hmm. uh, and that's the change but like you're saying when we were young, there was a TV strike remember the TV strike of the mid 80s where there was yes no that's right on? yeah <laughs> there was no football on television like, imagine to explain to somebody now well there was no television not allowed because they were arguing over half a million pound between ITV yeah. and thing you know and now they pay a billion pound for it and you know and I think the thing is is that it was there's no doubt that football was a lot more dangerous to watch then in the sense of the trouble that was around that mm. could be on your sense of your way and, and all those kind of things so there was, there was there was that side of it which was you know it wasn't romantic and wasn't particularly nice And you, but you know you had to sort of be on you know to look after yourself and be, be sensible and be careful but conversely like anything in life when that happens and there's, there's, a, there's something in the air where you've got somewhere and you've done something you don't know what's going to happen it is extraordinarily exciting it was yes. extraordinarily exciting to be on the terraces yeah. packed in at the game that's just a fact and that's human nature and it, it was it was I'm like I said I'm glad I was around to experience that I really am absolutely so were you when you were when you were going on your uh, your journeys and stuff were you a were you a shoot or were you a match weekly man um, in your younger days I was both <laughs> yeah yeah I was I, I used to get all the uh, all the magazines when I was a kid I loved it I was a bit I was a bit like I'm kids as well I was one of those kids predating actually the 90s kids I was one of those kids at Christmas and I have three or four kits we all did actually all my mates thinking about it early 80s this is like late 70s mm. we'd, you'd have three or four different kits bizarre mm. ones like Coventry Away the brown one and yeah. stuff you know odd, odd kits looking back you know just keep Leicester you know I remember something some Man City no no particular reason just my, you know my mother would go I've got you three four football kits it's <laughs> um, just you know really odd and they'd come in and the Adidas one especially the Wales one at that time what we mm. called the Wales 4-1 and we beat England 4-1 in it it was an Adidas one the silk one I've got photographs of me and that came in a box yes that's right with us with the shorts and the top and the socks oh my god Christmas morning with that <laughs> and obviously I'd, I'd, you'd have a football I'd, I'd have a beautiful leather football it was the one that with the forest won the league cup final in 78 the, the white one with the red yeah 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 the centenary ball yeah the centenary ball I think Maita did it so yes yeah. I got a photograph of me with that and, and in a Manchester City tracksuit and loads of people go to me why are you in a Man City tracksuit I go I don't know I just my mother's obviously just gone and bought bought pits and tracksuits because that's what she did you know it was just we just were football daft in our house it, comes, it all came from my father and my grandfather were the same my father and my grandfather bless my grandfather died in 2001 my father died two years ago my last two conversations with them both were about football isn't that extraordinary <laughs> literally hours before they died my last conversations with them both were about football I mean that's how important football was two brothers one younger one older both as football daft as me and mm. my poor mother and, and a father and a grandfather and a load of uncles would literally sit down and watch any football that was on the television it was yeah it was amazing really so it was a yeah it was a, definitely a football house well the thing the thing was with that of course with with you know with televised football and even in 1990 you only got the one live game a week which would yeah. be on ITV or BBC or was it two maybe maybe you got two games one on the Friday and one on the Sunday I can't remember now but it, but you know you was it it was still very very sparse live games I mean international football still wasn't you know were not broadcast live unless they were major tournaments I remember you had to watch sports night still then yeah. to watch England highlights and you know and games it, you never got you never got the live coverage until sky, until sky came in 
well, and saturated. Back, you know, I got a funny story. My grandfather actually died in 2001, and Sky had hit by then. So he was in God's pocket. We bought him Sky just for he died two, three years. And um, I mean, literally, the man would just watch football whenever he could. So he couldn't, he couldn't believe his luck. Mm-hmm. And then my, my my dad just before he died the year before, when he was quite ill, they went to um, on a ship him and, him and my brother around the fields. So my father mm-hmm. always wanted to see the fields, and my brother said he came back. And he went. He was in the cabin most time because they, they were showing Bundesliga football. <laughs> yeah. And my father went, oh, it was fantastic. See all the German teams, Mönchengladbach, Cologne, Frankfurt. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that you could watch football on tap for them, that then of their generation, was astonishing. I mean, they, they literally, I, saw, I, I remember thinking to myself, it's a good job that they didn't have it on TV as much as they did when they were younger. Otherwise, they probably would have never left the house either then, because they would just watch it round the clock. Yeah, because I think I think even then Sky was showing that you could buy one of the squareal things, couldn't you? That was it. Sky had very very limited. They were showing sort of Italian football, which is a, yeah. a, a big interest of mine. They were showing Italian football. I think before even Channel Four got onto the bandwagon, um, well, it was on S Four C before that. It was on in Wales. S Four C used to show um, right in the in the eighties. They used to show um, Italian football. I don't know what happened. Some quirk. They picked up the rights for it. Yeah, all the people used to used to tune into SBC from the West Country and Merseyside because Wales used to show goal. It was called. They used to show Italian football in the uh, in the late eighties. This is mad, isn't it? So there's like Welsh in between, and I'm not it's, kidding. It's... Welsh commentary just showing Italian football. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 it is absolutely. Um, it is actually. Uh, it's fascinating to, to look. Yeah, in nineteen ninety to me now just seems like well, it just seemed like an eternity yeah, ago. Yeah, where does, yeah. you know it shouldn't do, but it, it just does. I just. I'm so old, 1990. But anyway, we're going to take a, a quick break from some football chat because, well, from ourselves having a football chat because Mark is going to come in now and he's uh, going to tell us about some of the big football stories that were around in December 1990. So uh, over to you, Mark. Well, the uh, the start of the month saw the league leaders Liverpool finally come a cropper with their first league defeat. It was a significant one uh, as their closest challengers, Arsenal, turned them over 3-0 at Highbury leaving the Gunners to finish the month as the only remaining unbeaten team in the First Division, and they also replaced Liverpool at the top of the league. On a sorrier note for for the Gunners, uh, their skipper Tony Adams was sentenced to nine months in prison, five of which were suspended after he was caught uh, drink-driving at more than three times the legal limit uh, earlier in the year after a car crash in Southend. Um, Time would tell, of course, whether that would deal a fatal blow to Arsenal's chances of regaining the First Division. Um, surprisingly Crystal Palace and Leeds United who'd only just come up the season before they were lying in third and fourth in the first division respectively in the second division uh, West Ham were leading the way while pre-season favourites for promotion Newcastle United were looking over their shoulders they were languishing far too close to the relegation trapdoor in 16th um, do you both remember the old indoor soccer six tournaments that we oh, yeah. used to held in the 80s yeah. and 90s yeah, it was like the Guinness one, wasn't it? Was it Guinness Soccer Six? But uh, yeah. It was Guinness Soccer Six. I, it, I seem to remember it sponsored at one point. But yeah, we do. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, in December 1990, Luton Town won the uh, won that renewal at the GMEX Centre in Manchester by defeating something of a second string Liverpool team on their uh, preferred synthetic surface, which is obviously always going to suit them yeah, as the of kings of the plastic pitch. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Oldham were in the final with Luton now. I thought you were going to say yeah. it was an Oldham final. Well, was, <laughs> I can remember they had, a cracking, they had a cracking team, Luton, at the time, didn't they? They were always sort yeah, of in yeah. and around the top the top ten of the first division back then. Yeah, they again, had some really good players. Yeah, yeah, relying heavily on that plastic pitch, of course. Um, yeah. 
Elsewhere in football, uh, after trying to split Italian loyalties at the World Cup, uh, Diego Maradona was voted Italy's most hated person in a newspaper poll, defeating Saddam Hussein, of all people. Um, uh, Tottenham's team coach was clamped and then towed away as they uh, stopped for lunch en route to a game at Chelsea, which they ended up losing 3-2. And uh, one here which, uh, which connects nicely to Johnny, actually. Um, in Nottingham, the City Council proposed that Forest and Notts County shared a purpose-built oh, oh. 45,000 all-seater stadium. What are the oh, chances yeah. of that ever happening? Come on then, Johnny. What was, what was, can you give us a little bit more about what, what, what happened here and how it all fell through? I, 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 from what I understand, Clough was very vociferous in saying no. This is not going to happen, and uh, a lot of people say that uh, it was just sort of something mooted by the the local council, and um, and, and it actually allowed, I believe, Forrest to do a deal with the council on the ground for another hundred years. So it was kind of engineered, really, to sort of say, "Will we share grounds?" And everyone, no, 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 we want to keep the city ground. And then they've got this lease on the city ground for another for another century. That's kind of what I remember as being the story behind that, because there's absolutely no chance that county and Forrest could have a ground share or. No. wouldn't happen no 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 no, no, chance no they're in a sorry state aren't they not the county um yeah it's a bit of a shame actually i think they're, they're second from bottom i mean they should have enough i think to to see them okay i hope so anyway i mean nobody wants to see the oldest league club and go out of uh, the football league no no absolutely no absolutely i mean we, we we hit on it earlier what you what we were talking when we were just reminiscing about how we were how we loved watching football in the in the early 90s late 80s and stuff so i mean what um so what what if I was to ask you, Johnny, what annoys you most about modern day football compared to twenty eight years ago? What what would you say? What annoys me the most? I'm th- listen, I oh gosh, it probably this weird thing that we've got now where I got a mate of mine who does it. it they 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 pick on a player, their own player. Mm-hmm. They don't like him for whatever reason. That's understandable. But it's almost like they want him to do something wrong, so it justifies <laughs> them. <laughs> so I got a mate of mine and. Um, he really hated uh, Peter Whittingham for a bit at Cardiff, you know, and, mm. and Whittingham could literally score two goals, but he'd go, uh, you know, a bit of luck. But then if he missed a tackle, he'd be like, look at him, pull it out again, you know, and I'd be like, God, you can't, you can't wait for your own player to do something wrong. You know, what's the matter with you? Uh, that's kind of like a, a modern thing, I think, where and maybe we were talking about earlier on with the social media, where mm-hmm. for some reason you, you, you really have to start and go at, at your own team. I don't know what's that about, really. But yeah, very, yeah. very odd. Um, social media I, just, I think it's so obvious for me to say social media but it has it has changed lots of things I think mm. the biggest thing my mate said to me once he got it right he said before loads of converse, conversations went on in the pub and you could be miserable after you'd lost and you could whatever but, but unfortunately now they've got somewhere you've got somewhere where you can go and direct it at someone you could direct it at the club or you can direct it at the player you can direct it at other fans mm. and it spreads into the world and I think that's where it's changed you know what I mean and it's, is that a healthy thing I don't know you mm. know and, and can I you can't like somebody said, you can't uninvent the gun, can you? You can't uninvent the internet. It's, it's no. with us, now, isn't it? But like you're saying, in, in far more gentler times, more innocent times, maybe you didn't get that sort of, um, you know, particular sort of fan would come along where it becomes their thing, really, to sort of shout at, at a player and their team. And you know, I've never yeah. quite got that, but it has in their football. 
I mean, I, we're almost getting to the point, I think, with social media now as well, where, you know, we're almost having, it's almost like a, sort of Britain's Got Talent. There will come a point where a manager will say, OK, we're going to, you know, we're going to do a Twitter poll. Who, who, who do you think I should play? Yeah. We're going to go through all the positions and the majority will get the vote is going, is going to be the players that he plays. Because, you know, it, it, I mean, we've all, there's always been the boo boys. I mean, there's always been sections of each. Yeah. Every club has a section of boo boys who, like you say, will just get on the back of any player if they want to get him out of the club. Back in the day, it was just lots of anti-songs about him. Now it's just a social media campaign, isn't it? To, yeah. you know, to, to pick on it, to, to pick on players, to get them, you know, almost to get almost to get them to get them a transfer away from the club or to get the manager a sack. I mean, you know, I mean, you can imagine how it would have been for Alex Ferguson in 1990. Oh, he had, had social media. I mean, obviously the famous game at the City Ground that you know supposedly saved his job in january of that year which was the season before the one we're looking the mark robbins game the mark robbins goal yeah i was at at the game where they lost 5-1 to man city that season yeah the the classic yeah yeah, exactly the the, the classic ferguson always said that still that's his he said that's his worst ever moment in football still the 5-1 i I thought he was going to go that and you know my mates were all they're all proper manx from moston and salford yeah man, man U fans still go they wanted him out at that point. And yeah. I said to them, now, you wanted Ferguson gone. They, they actually go, yep, you're right. We did. At that point, they'd had enough. Yeah. So it was a, I, I reckon there was very few Manchester United fans after the game that probably would, you know, and yeah. certainly in the, mo- in the modern game, he'd have gone probably two years before that. You know what I mean? So we've seen it now with Manchester United because obviously he didn't win, a, didn't win anything last year. If Mourinho does, doesn't win a trophy this year, Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly if they don't make the Champions League he, he wouldn't survive would he no chance I don't think so. no he'll be gone no I, I, I'm sure he'll be gone I think it will all end in well it's all going to end acrimoniously like it does yeah. at every club Mourinho ever leaves um, yeah. so, I mean as we're getting towards the uh, the end of the year as well I mean what's um, what does um, 2019 have in store for yourself Johnny anything that's anything interesting coming up yeah I'm doing another football film really? miracles. Yeah, I have done, and I did the Welsh one I'm doing another football film for next year that's coming out I'm working with the boys who did um, uh, Senna and Amy and they've just done Maradona it's that company so they're great so I've been doing that and that comes out sort of next year mm. uh, and, and there's a book that comes out around it as well so mm. yeah I'm, I'm just sort of sorting that out really um, obviously I'm doing a bit of work for Nottingham Forest as I said as a director it's kind of helping with the the media and stuff um, mm-hmm. so yeah I'm quite busy um, and it's all involved with football yeah <laughs> and my missus Vicky as you say Vicky McClure she always says to me what would you do in, without football in your life and I'm like I actually don't know <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have a it's job tr- <laughs> it's I wouldn't true. have a life it's so true isn't it so yeah I'm just sort of um, I might you know I was thinking I'm going to see Chesterfield this Saturday actually because there's no match for Forest this weekend they, they didn't no. have uh, I was going to pop up to see them uh, on on Saturday because they were struggling a little bit, and they they have, yeah they they beat Salford last week, which is their they first win about I think it yeah. was crazy like eight or nine. I think they they've drawn something like nine or ten on the bounce. I think it is. It's um, yeah. but yeah, no, there is a well. My my advice to you if you're going to go there and you want a pretty much pint, is head up the it just head up for a pub called the Derby Top, which has got lots of real ales if you like that oh, kind yeah, of thing, that. right next to the ground and really old fashioned pub not been spoiled by any any commercialism so that's that, that. that's one piece of advice I will give you if you are going I can get the train up there some good teams in that league I was, I was looking yeah. at the got massive soft spot for Wrexham who were a great old Welsh yeah. league club and they took 1,500 to Chesterfield this year yeah. and you think, and you, think oh, you know those there's two clubs that should be kind of in the football league really yeah. know, decent crowds yeah. and, and, but obviously the thing is with non-league football at the moment as we know there's no financial fair play so you can go to somewhere like you know Harrogate or Salford and spend a lot of money 
and uh, and get them up. Unfortunately, then what's going to be interesting to see for them clubs is what they do when they get into the uh, League Two, where you've got all the regulations that kick in. Yeah, but non-league, yeah, yeah that, that's a strong league. That that national oh. league. I thought it was quite sad the other week watching the Wrexham Newport Cup tie when you looked behind the goal and obviously all that standing uh, area that was just completely cop, barren. As great the cop was, I've been in there many times watching Wales and yeah, and uh, it was a great also. It's a proper football in town area Wrexham that area. Yes, I've been Wales. there to see Oxford. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah, and it's got like a great history of producing really good footballers. I mean, even now Harry Wilson, Danny Ward, Neil Taylor, yeah. all, Wrexham, all Wrexham boys. You know, the Welsh FA know this. I know them. They always say. We would love to get international football played back up there if we can, certainly friendlies, because it's just a great area for producing footballers. And uh, yeah. I, 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 hope, I hope Wrexham come back up. And like I said, on teams like Chesterfield, that's why I was going to pop alongside. Again, you know, we, we sound like <laughs> nostalgic old men here, but mm-hmm. there's something about old league clubs that sort of mean yeah. something to you, isn't there? You want, oh, I want, I want them to do well. You know, it's just something about that. Isn't it? Well, Chesterfield again are one of the oldest clubs in the league. They're, they're about yeah. the fifth or sixth oldest. I mean, everyone obviously knows Notts County are the oldest, but Chesterfield are, are up there. They're one of the yeah. one of founder members, and that uh, you know, and that's um, and they lost their league status. I mean, it was a big, big deal. But again, all stuff going on behind the scenes there. That's, yeah, the fans not happy, and it's 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 a bit ugly at the moment up there. Yeah, I'll be do you know, I went, to, really I went to a Chesterfield. I went to a Chesterfield game at Mansfield. I think yeah, like that. that's 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 what. That was a great little like, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> was, that's a derby. Like, that is a yeah. derby. It was. It, uh, it was. It is. Netflix, I think is the term. Yeah. yeah. Know, a bit. A bit old school as well. I was like, okay, this is. Yeah. Really interesting, but yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully they can get themselves sorted out. Then. Well, let's yeah. hope so. Let's hope yeah. so. From my from, from my personal point of view, anyway. Yeah. So, Mark. Yeah. Here we go, um, Mark. Um, we're going to bring you back in here, of course, because it's Christmas 1990, and we've all got the Radio Times in front of us, and we're all highlighting the programmes to watch, and, and you know the music that we want on our Christmas list. So, it's over to you to let us know what we were about to uh, put ourselves through. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, the pop charts and TV schedules were awash with uh, Christmas. Th- Christmas themed offerings um, starting with the music um, Vanilla Rice who we played out with uh, on our last podcast we did. Uh, he couldn't quite hang on to the coveted number one slot for Christmas in the UK which went to dear old Cliff Richard who after, yeah. the, after the success of Mistle, Mistletoe and Wine a couple of years earlier uh, seemed to have made it his mission to try and monopolise that, uh, monopolize that accolade year after year uh, in 1990, it was Saviour's Day that did the business for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, remember that? Although, yeah, um, yeah. thankfully, yeah. It's, it's Rain at the Top lasted just one week. Um, <laughs> it's, it's successor at number one. Can either of you take a guess what you think it is? I think I know what it is because I think um, I've already, we've already discussed it, but I'll let Johnny have a guess. Already discussed it. We are right. Okay. Um, no, no, we haven't discussed it, Johnny. Oh, Me and Mark. Oh, yeah. you won't have a yeah, It's um. Yeah, you have to think. Give me a clue. Um, yeah. It's probably as far it's from what you'd expect it to be as it could possibly get for a for yeah. a festive. Get, yeah, you couldn't get you couldn't get further from Mistletoe or Saviour's Day rather with, with this. Think heavy metal and think Steel City, and you'll be on your way to. Oh, is it, it, it Death Leopard? No, close, close. Uh, well, I think this lot are from Sheffield, aren't no, they? No, no, well, I think they're from London, aren't they? Certainly, oh, the bass player is a West Ham oh, fan. So that's, that's red herring from me then, Johnny. Don't worry <laughs> about that. But think heavy, me- think heavy metal then, but not Sheffield. <laughs> Which, what, what, what are your heavy metal? Are we talking like uh, new wave heavy metal? Or no, definitely the 80s, definitely the 80s. If you think yeah. the, the bass player was a, is a renowned big West Ham fan. Oh, Iron Maiden then, is it? Yes, Iron Maiden, it is. that's right, What's yeah. The song? Is, it, is it called... Um, 
Well, Bruce Dickinson is a workshop boy, so you're right at the Sheffield. He's just outside Sheffield. Ah, he's workshop, yeah. That's, that's the connection. What song would that... I wouldn't be Run to the Hills, would it, or something like that? No, no. even, bring, even bring less Christmassy. Bring your daughter to the slaughter. Yeah. That's the one, yeah. What a great, <laughs> a great way to extinguish the Christmas spirit that was. Um, but we've... Um, Very good. There's, there's a couple of... Uh, some honourable chart mentions for December 1990. Go to the farm with uh, their yeah. classic All Together Now. Um, EMF. Song unbelievable yeah, and um, yeah. uh, Wicked Game by Chris Isaac which is not only a great song but a fantastic video with the uh, with the gorgeous Helena Christensen Helena Christensen it? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. who was uh, going out with Michael Hutchins at the time she was that's right that's yeah right. He, he he certainly has a, a good um, a good back catalogue didn't he of, uh, of ladies he managed to to, to <laughs> woo in his time um, highly yeah indeed yeah as for the t- as for the TV uh, Christmas Day on started on BBC One with the obligatory oh. Knowles Christmas presents where he surprised various members of the public with gifts and experiences uh, as, as a way of thanks uh, on behalf of, of their loved ones um, right. special, special guests on the December 1990 show included Frank Bruno David Essex and Arthur Bostrom can, any, <laughs> can anybody tell me who Arthur Bostrom is no, who's Arthur Bostrom? Well, <laughs> remember he he was the uh, he was the 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 policeman on Allo Allo who was uh, an English spy <laughs> but had the dodgy French accent. Oh, ah, right, I right, I was Arthur Bostrom. I do the, the other thing I remember with 1990. I always say to, to the kids, do you remember 1990 was the year of the Morris Worm? Do you remember the, what the Morris Worm was? Well, not a clue. Oh. No, uh, so the Morris known. Worm was the first time that anybody tried to, to purposely put a bug into the computer system because the internet had just been invented. Ah. It's now in museums because it was on a little uh, disc and it was considered the first ever time that anybody tried to hack a computer <laughs> system. And the Morris Worm was what they called it. Was, the guy's surname was Morris. But wow. I, always remember, I always remember seeing a story in the 90s and it's been actually it's in popular culture now. It's a huge deal for geeks and it's been referenced in about three or four different films, The Morris Worm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it is an education, this podcast. I've always said, <laughs> there is, it is. Everybody, we come, everybody we've had on has come out with some gem of, of informa- bit of information that we've like, wow, crikey. The Morris Worm. No, I, do, I don't remember that at all, but um, I'm going to have a look at it once we've stopped. Once, once we've finished it, I'm going to have a look at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was just thinking the other day, because I was, I was, obviously you said to me about 1990, and I was like, God, well, you know, 1990. You think you yourself, oh, I remember Lords from 1990. Yeah. Then, but when you actually do start going, because everybody says now, doesn't they, famously, oh, so much goes on in the world so fast. But yeah. I was thinking, I remember Mandela, like, oh, jail, obviously. That's and was, right, like, yeah. And I'm sure the war, the war came down in 1990, and then communism yes, right. collapsed. And then it was the poll tax, right? So thinking, actually, Lords was going on in 1990. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was like, so every time you think it's now that worlds, and, oh, things seem to be happening every day, it was probably the same then, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What else then, Mark? What else? Are we, what else have we got to look forward to over the festive period? Well, actually, again, going back to the Christmas Day on BBC One, comedy dominated the the, the listings. Then you had the two Ronnies, Bread, right. Birds mm-hmm. of a Feather. Oh, I'm not sure I would put that in the comedy category. Uh, you had uh, Dad's Army, repeat, of course, um, yeah. and Only Fools' uh, Only Fools and Horses Christmas Special. While yes. um, after after Simon Wicks and Ian Beale had a bit of a dust up on the Christmas East Enders edition, um, the Queen's Speech. Uh, was followed by E.T. E. Wow. E. Yeah. Any more memories from all that lot, Johnny, apart from the Morris Worm? I mean, uh, any... I remember um, 
I also remember that as a strange way. Remember the strange ways riots in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. I was up in Manchester quite a lot. You could be able to. You'd be able to, my mates took me to where you could look at them on the roof. Do you remember they were on the roof? That's oh, right. They were. Yeah, that. that's right. So that's where I remember. I remember in Manchester, be near the Arndale, and then going to. Do you want to go and see the riots? And going, yeah, right then. And, <laughs> and there would there, always be about five or six people stopping to have a look at the strange raid riots. So yeah, that's one for you kids. Fantastic. <laughs> looking um, at looking at a prison riot. Fantastic memories. Well. <laughs> It looks like we're we're just about out of time, Johnny. Um, no obviously, I'd like to say a big thank you that, oh, that no, to come on the show. Fun. And if anybody yeah. wants to wants to sort of follow you on Twitter, what's your what's your Twitter handle? I'm at Johnny Owen J O sorry J O N Y Owen Film, all one word, Johnny Owen. Okay, and we'll 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 link that into the podcast when when we when when and so people can can follow you. I'm sure you've already got thousands of thousands of followers anyway. So I really enjoyed that, lads. I really enjoyed his great thing when he started talking about what it was like in my day. Oh, so much better, wasn't it? It's been a pleasure, and and yeah, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more of you in 2017, and we'll certainly hear a lot more of your of your other half, Vicky McClaw. We'll be back in January uh, once we've got uh, the turkey digested and all the mince pies have gone. Um, so, on behalf of Mark and myself, uh, all that's left really is to uh, first to wish you all uh, a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. And thanks for everybody who has supported us on the podcast since we started in August. Uh, so, until January, it's goodbye. Bye, boys. Shut up. Christmas of them all, the machine.